Well, good morning. Welcome to Heritage and uh, happy first day of spring, huh? Woohoo! Finally. Yeah. And uh, I hope the warmth continues, but this is northeastern Pennsylvania. And I just feel like there's another snowstorm just around the corner. I know. I, what a downer. Ah, yeah, well. All right. Anyway, wow. Good to have you here this morning. It's, uh, it is great to have had some sunshine and warm weather, huh? And uh, yeah. Well, you know, I don't know if you've ever uh, taken the time to walk through uh, a cemetery and, and read the tombstones. Uh, sometimes people do that, and, and uh, there is quite a, a, a bunch of different statements, inscriptions that you can find. And um, we, uh, Jane and I, a number of years ago, were looking down in th- southeastern Pennsylvania. There were some Mendenhall uh, roots down there, which is Jane's uh, maiden name, and, and looking in some of those old tombstones. Now, we didn't see this one, but um, this is uh, an inscription that one tombstone is reported to have had. Pause, stranger. When you pass me by, as you are now, so once was I, as I am now, so you will be, so prepare for death and follow me. All right, nice poetry or rhyming, but uh, someone wrote this reply, to follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. Uh, that's, uh, that's probably a, a good thing to consider. Um, so yeah, to which way you went, that's kind of one of those things we wonder. We talk to people about eternity, about life after death. Sigmund Freud, the uh, so-called founder of psychiatry, wrote this, and finally, there is the painful riddle of death for which no remedy at all has yet been found, nor probably ever will be. Wow, that's a, that's a pretty negative outlook, pessimistic outlook on life, and yet he believed that there was no meaning or purpose to life at all. So I guess this kind of a reaction to death would undoubtedly follow. No wonder he thought death was a painful riddle with no remedy. So... What happens after you die? What happens after you die? That's a great question, and uh, it's one that we better know how to answer. So what about life after death? What about heaven and hell? Uh, Where do you go when you die? Uh, We know about the body. You have been to enough funeral services, you hear about the body being in the grave, but what about the real person, the soul and the spirit? Uh, We talked about getting a new body when we were going through 1 Corinthians 15, chapter 15, we mentioned that, that we will one day get new, brand new, perfect, resurrected bodies, and what about that? Uh, When that happens, we'll be like Jesus, the Bible tells us, but what about before Jesus comes back? What about for those who, who die now, who know Jesus? Uh, I would say, like my mom and dad, they've 
they died a number of years ago. They're in heaven, we say. Their bodies are in the grave, we say. But where are they? What is it like? What's, what do they look like right now? If they're not going to get a resurrected body till Jesus comes again, what state are they in right now? And so as we look at that, we've got to go to the Bible, the Word of God, the Scriptures for the answers because there is, folks, a remedy for death. There is absolutely a remedy for death. So please open your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And if you don't have a Bible with like a copy in your hands underneath the chair in front of you, there should be a copy there. And in that Bible, page 802, page 802. And I'm going to, I want you to, to make sure you follow along with me as, as I read, whether you're looking in your copy of the Word of God or your tablet or phone or up here on the screen, however you do that, just follow. And I'm going to kind of read through these verses, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 through 57. And I'm going to make some comments about them as we go so that you know exactly what we're talking about as we read these verses. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50. Paul says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, so you know he's talking to people who know Jesus, all right? That's critical. This won't make sense to people who do not know Jesus. So he's talking to brothers and sisters that flesh and blood, he's talking about our physical bodies, cannot inherit the kingdom of God, heaven, nor does the perishable, our dying bodies, inherit the imperishable the immortal, eternal part of life. Verse 51, listen, I tell you a mystery. Now, a mystery is God's truth previously hidden, but now made known. And Paul's sharing that. But we, here it is, the mystery that he says, um, uh, we, followers of Jesus, will not all sleep. That means, spiritually speaking, die physically. For believers who die on this earth, for those who know Jesus, Paul calls it sleep. That's a nice way to look at that and consider that. But he says, we, those who are followers of Jesus, will not all sleep or die physically, but we will all be changed. We will all get new transformed bodies Verse 52, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound. And you could see this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. So the trumpet will sound, the dead, those who believed in Christ, will be raised imperishable, will be raised to live forever, is what Paul is saying. And we we who are still alive, we who are living when Jesus comes back, will be changed. We will be given new bodies. Verse 53, for the perishable, our dying bodies, must clothe itself with the imperishable, bodies that will never die, and the mortal with immortality. The same thing he's saying, verse 54, when the perishable, again, our dying bodies have been clothed with the imperishable, given perfect bodies, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written in the Old Testament scriptures will come to true Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? 
I, I believe one of the translations I read um, said this about that particular phrase there, where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? I like this. They said, hey, death, who got the last word? Who's afraid of you now? I think, wow, yes, exactly. Death has no more sting, no more power. Verse 56, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory over sin and over death through our Lord Jesus Christ. What a text. Sometimes you hear that read at a funeral and you're like, ah, all this perishable, imperishable, mortal, immortal, and new bodies, and what? And, and I wanted to make sure because we, we sometimes hear these texts and don't really think through, read through, what does it really mean? What's Paul trying to communicate? And what he's saying is that for those who know Jesus who die, they're going to go first. They're going to get new bodies. And for those of us who know Jesus are still alive, we're going to go when Jesus comes again at the rapture and we're going to get new bodies. We're all going to get new bodies who know Jesus when Jesus comes again. And by the way, next week we're going to talk about the rapture. When does that happen? When is that coming? What does that mean? What is Jesus coming again? Why is that significant for us? So, so as we look at this, so then what happens after you die? Well, I want to ask and then answer some questions as we move through this concept, and we'll be a little bit in this text and a few other texts as well. So stay with me, and if you're taking notes, you can write down some of these scriptures and, and um, see where we're going. So question number one, where will you go? Where will you go? Now, we talk about heaven. We talk about hell. Uh, the Bible talks about paradise, well, the Bible talks about Hades. If you're reading through the Old Testament, you'll see the word Sheol, S-H-E-O-L. And uh, so where do we go? Where will you go? Well, at death, the physical bodies of all people ever born on the face of this earth, all the way back to Adam and Eve up to the current time, all physical bodies of all people, saved or unsaved, who know God or don't know God, will go to the grave. Really, it's that simple. Will go to the grave. From all eternity, those who die, physical bodies will go to the grave. All right? Now, in the Old Testament, Sheol is the Old Testament word or place for life after death. And, and it's hard to know a lot about that. You can study through, and as we read that, sometimes that word refers to the grave. But there is a word in Hebrew for the grave that it only means the grave. And that's not the word sheol. Sheol sometimes means the grave, but mostly it's used as the place uh, where the departed spirits and souls of individuals go. Now, there's indication that for those who knew God in the Old Testament, for those who didn't, they would go to Sheol. And, and some have come up with the idea that there may be two compartments, one for the wicked, one for the righteous. I'm not sure of that. Um, that is one of those things that you can study. You can look in, I believe it's like Genesis 49, and we would read that Jacob went to Sheol and saw his family. 
Okay, and yet we, we don't know exactly all of what that means. We know that even in the Psalms, David or the psalmists write about those wicked individuals going to Sheol. So it's hard to know where the souls of men are in this intermediate state for the wicked and the righteous. I am not sure about the two-compartment theory uh, because we have a record of individuals in Scripture, Old Testament saints who are with God. Uh, so we'll move on, but just so you know that the word is there used. Now I want you to uh, keep your place there in 1 Corinthians, but look back to Luke chapter 16. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Luke chapter 16, and uh, as we look at Luke chapter 16, we have a story, some would call it a parable, uh, some don't think it is because the uh, name of an individual is used, and that's typically not the case. Lazarus, this is not the Lazarus, who was the brother of Mary and Martha, who, uh, who Jesus raised from the dead. This is not that Lazarus. But in Luke chapter 16, verse 19, Luke chapter 16, verse 19, again, if you're using our Bible, uh, page 730, but just follow with me as I read these opening verses of this section. Verse 19, Luke 16, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. Now you get the picture, a rich man who didn't know God, we'll see this in a minute, and a and, and a very, very poor beggar by the name of Lazarus. Verse 22, the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. You may have a translation that says Abraham's bosom. That, that would be probably more of a King James statement, but, but that's there. Abraham's arms, some would translate. Uh, but the idea of Abraham holding his side And the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades, in Hades, where he was, the rich man, in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. There it is. Now we're getting a picture. Jesus is teaching this, and he's talking about the, uh, the rich man who obviously didn't live a life that would indicate he knew God, and he ended up, we're told, Scripture says, in Hades, a place of torment. And he looked off and saw Abraham, and at his side, in Abraham's bosom, by his side, he saw the poor beggar Lazarus. And as we talk through this, in the New Testament, the word Sheol is translated Hades. And here as we read in the New Testament, Hades is now the place of torment. The Hades is not a place where believers went when they died. Remember, we said their bodies went where? The grave. All bodies of all men go to the grave. But their spirit, their soul, the real person. Here in the New Testament, we're talking about Hades. Those who didn't know Jesus went to Hades, a place of torment. I got to say, folks, not purgatory, all right? Not purgatory. 
because we have no indication whatsoever. Purgatory is the teaching that you go to this place of torment and you pay for your sins and after a time you get to go out of there and go to heaven. That's nowhere found in the Bible. You can look from cover to cover. You will never find that. And the other thing that we notice here in the parable of rich man and Lazarus, and I'm not going to preach through this today, but as you think through this, you can look and nowhere ever does the rich man, the man who doesn't have a relationship with God, ask Abraham to get me out of here or take care of my sin. I want to pay for my sin so that I can get out of here. You don't have any record of that whatsoever. In fact, the rich man in Hades became a missionary. He got all concerned for his family, his five brothers who didn't know Jesus. So he knew he was stuck there. He knew it was a permanent place. It was a torment place, and he was there. But Lazarus was in Abraham's bosom, or as we will find out in a few weeks when we go through the Easter story, if you remember the two thieves that died next to Jesus, one on one right and the other on the left, Jesus in the middle, and one of them repented one of them expressed faith in Jesus and what did Jesus say to him in Luke chapter 23 he said today you will be with me in paradise paradise and Abraham's bosom would be the same as we talk about back here in the New Testament the place where Jesus is with God in heaven paradise Abraham's bosom that is where That thief went that day. And when you and I die in this world, if we know Jesus, we will be with him in heaven, in paradise right now. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 8, Paul said this. He says, we are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So when we leave this body, the body goes where? The grave, right? When we leave this life on earth, our body goes to the grave, but you and I who know Jesus go to be with the Lord. Paradise. We are with him in heaven. The wicked are in Hades. Torment. You say, is that hell? We'll get to that. All right? Second question. What will you look like? What will you look like? In other words, what I mean by that is I'm talking about the intermediate state, the state between death when you're in heaven with Jesus, if you know him, uh, and when we will get our new bodies that we talked about. We just read the text in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We talked about getting those resurrected bodies. But what happens between now and then? Because when do we get that? When does that happen? What will we look like? Well, we will one day get that perfect resurrected body, a new body. And what do we look at? We don't really know. You say, well, what about the body? I mean, the transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17. Do you remember when Jesus called Peter, James, and John, and they went up the mountain and they met Moses and Elijah? Moses and Elijah had been dead, right? They died in the Old Testament, but they were recognizable. So what was their makeup? We know that the Bible tells us that they won't get new bodies until the end of the millennium. I, I, I may, yes. Uh, back there when, at the, excuse me, at the second coming of Christ, the second advent, that's not the rapture, not the end of the millennium. I believe it happens 
more like at the beginning of the month. When Jesus comes again the second time, that's when. The Old Testament saints get new bodies. We'll talk more about that next week. But the New Testament saints, we get our new bodies when Jesus comes again at the rapture. We're going to talk about what the rapture is next week. But right now, what happens between? What is our state? What do we look like? We seem to be recognizable, but we don't know for sure exactly what that is. First, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 1. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 1, if you want to write that down or look at it. Um, I, don't know, I don't think I have it on the screen for you. But 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 1, Paul says, For we know that if the earthly tent, he's talking about the body, that we live in is destroyed, it dies. We have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Now what is that? Well, is that the new body? I, I think it is. But what we don't know is when in the future does that occur? What time period is Paul talking about? Is he talking about it at the rapture? Or is he talking about simply when we die now? And again, we don't know that. So to say what does, like when I think about my mom and dad, Scripture seems to indicate that if, if I could see them in heaven, I would be able to recognize them. The story of Abraham and, or excuse me, the rich man and Abraham and Lazarus, the rich man recognized the poor beggar Lazarus, but was that a perfect body? Well, Scripture doesn't seem to indicate that as believers, we won't have new bodies till Jesus comes again. So that's the, why it's hard to know exactly where we stand on that, what that's going to be. But what will you look like? We'll find out one day. But here's a better question with a better answer. So when do you get your new body? 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 42. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 42. And this is what Paul says there. Now, we went through this just uh, a, a few months back. Paul says this, verse 42, 1 Corinthians 15, So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. The body that goes to the grave when it dies is perishable. We're raised imperishable with a new body. The body that uh, it is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown in a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. And then go down to verses 51 and 52. Same chapter, 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says this, Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. We as believers will not all die before Jesus comes again. That's what he's saying. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. We will all be given new, transformed, glorified, perfect bodies. And all the old people said, woohoo, yeah. And all you younger people too, really, when you think about it, right? Sorry, folks, I'm old, so I'm not really picking. I'm, I'm including myself. And my wife just gave me the look that said, I told you, don't say you're old. <laughs> Sorry, hon. All right, I'm not old. All right, verse 52. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, we'll see you next week, that's the rapture, 
For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. And First Thessalonians chapter 4 indicates that those in the graves who know Jesus will, will get their new bodies, for they'll go ahead of us, and then we who are alive still remain on this earth who know Jesus. We will follow, and we'll all get new bodies. That's what he's talking about. That happens at the rapture. We know John said in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2, he says, Dear friends, now, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know, we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him because we will see him as he is. We will be like Jesus. We will have glorified new perfect bodies when he comes again, and that will happen when we see him, we will be like him. We'll get those new bodies. We'll be like him because we'll see him as he is. That's when we get our new bodies, when Jesus comes again and we see Jesus. Huh? Wow. Can't wait. I mean that. I can't wait. Question number four, how should we then think about death? In other words, in light of Jesus' return, in light of the fact that it's happening, the rapture will take place, how should we think about death? Well, I came across this quote in a book that I would recommend to you, One Minute After You Die by Erwin Lutzer. One minute after you die. You won't agree with everything, and that's okay, but there's a great, it's a great resource as you think about life and life after death, and what it means to know Jesus. He says this, Death, though it would appear to be man's greatest enemy, would in the end prove to be his greatest friend. You ever thought about death as a friend? Give that some thought. Death, though it would appear to be man's greatest enemy, would in the end prove to be his greatest friend. Why? Well, he goes on and he says, only through death can we go to God because death is the only way we get to God unless we're still alive when Jesus comes and we are taken to the rapture. But for those believers who die, only through death can we go to God. It is the means by which those who love God finally are brought to him. Now, folks, when we think of death, we think of those whom we loved. And every, not every, many of you have lost people that you love dearly. And it hurts. We grieve. Paul says that's okay because we don't grieve like those who have no hope. Our hope is that we will one day be reunited. But when you think about death as being the journey, the doorway, the gate that leads us to God, the only way, wow. And as we've said so often, you would, know, you would never want that individual who has passed away back on this earth once they're, they've tasted heaven, once they've been in the presence of God, we would never want them back because of the joy and what they're experiencing in heaven 
with God. But as we think about it, how should we think about death? Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, he says, I'm torn. Uh, He talked about whether he should stay and serve in Philippi or whether his ministry was over because he was in prison and whether it would be better for him to go to heaven. And he says this in verse 23, Philippians 1, I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. Woohoo! Better by far. But he then says to the church of Philippi, but for me to remain here would be much better for you. Talk about a selfless perspective. But that's how Paul viewed it. Better by far. Folks, I have to say that I think we sometimes, we often, cling too tightly to life on this earth. We really do. And we wonder why those who claim to know Jesus Christ, for those of us who know Jesus, we wonder why we sometimes miss out on all that God has for us on this earth. It's because we're living, holding on too tight to what this world offers And we want that more than we want what God has to offer. We want that. We want what we want rather than what God wants. Our purpose, as Freud thought, is not happiness and pleasure. That will be typically an outcome of knowing God. But you know what Paul says? Those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's what, that's what we're told in Scripture. We need to understand. We need to grab hold of it. We must not hold tightly to this earth and the things of this earth because when we do, we, we miss all of what we're here to accomplish for the glory of God. And when we hear people say, we have a mission to accomplish, when you hear God, when you know God's word says we have a mission to accomplish and we hear people say, I'm too busy. Folks, if you've ever said that, I'm going to tell you right now, for me as well, we are holding too tightly to the things of this earth because we're here for God. And if we're too busy, yes, we're too busy. But you know the funny thing about that statement is then rarely do we fix it. We talk about being too busy, but we rarely do nothing about it. What we need to figure out is how we can give more time to our God who loved us, who died for us. Last question, what about hell? What about hell? A church historian uh, made this statement. Hell disappeared and no one noticed. Hell disappeared and no one noticed. What's he talking about? You don't hear people talk about hell anymore. You rarely even hear it in the church. It's not politically correct. It's not culturally correct. Nobody wants to be told that they're going to hell one day if they don't know Jesus. You are labeled a fanatic if you say you believe in hell. But here's what the Bible says, Revelation chapter 20. And again, I would ask you if you follow along with me, please. Revelation chapter 20. And I have it on the screen. So if you want to follow with it, great. But please follow and get this. Because this is the text we sometimes read quickly and we miss 
But here's what John said, the writer of the book of Revelation. He said, then I saw, Revelation 20, verse 11, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, the throne of God, the great white throne. The throne of judgment and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. Remember folks, we said every dead person from Adam and Eve to the present is where? Their body? In the grave. Here we have the dead were, or uh, the sea gave up the dead, death and Hades. Remember we said that's not just the body, the grave and Hades, which is where the departed solar spirit of those who don't know Jesus, that's Hades, the place of torment, the rich man, they're given, and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades, get this, were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So when an, a person who doesn't know Jesus dies today, they do not go to hell. They go to Hades, place of torment. Technically, hell is the lake of fire. And at that time, the great white throne judgment, Hades... The place of torment for those who have died who don't know Jesus will be thrown into the lake of fire, hell, eternally. Now, that's what Scripture teaches us. Hell is real. It is a place of torment. It is a place of abandonment, of loneliness. It is forever. You see, we have this idea today that it, somebody should be able to pay for their crimes, for their sin. That's what our criminal justice system is about. We send people to jail or we send people to prison and then some people are there for life but they have a chance of parole. Why? Because maybe something that they did in prison would improve their condition enough that the parole board would let them out. They've done enough to pay for their crime. Fact of the matter is, there's nothing any of us can do to pay for our crime, even if it was a thousand years. I mean, folks, if that was true, Jesus would not have died on the cross. There would be no point. If there was any other way for our sin to be forgiven and a debt to be paid, Jesus would not have died on the cross. It would have been a waste of time. You see, but when we talk about hell as eternal, as a place of torment and punishment, Jonathan Edwards in his famous message, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Folks, you want to read a message? Pull that up and you can find it. Google it. Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Jonathan Edwards. Read that message. He says the reason we find hell so offensive is because of our insensitivity to sin our insensitivity to sin folks we even as believers at times don't take sin seriously enough 
We don't find sin so offensive. We don't understand how much sin is an affront to the holiness of God. And when we understand the holiness of God and we understand what our sin does to Him, hell must be eternal. That's what God's Word says. So what's the bottom line? What's the bottom line? Well, first of all, hell is real. And people don't have to go there. The church today, the Bible today, is criticized, is attacked, because they hear that salvation as we present it from the Word of God is so exclusive that that couldn't be that narrow. Hell is exclusive, excuse me, forgiveness is exclusive. It only comes through Jesus Christ. Yes, there's one way. Jesus said that. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man can come to the Father except through me. Yes, it's exclusive, but guess what? Salvation is offered to all who believe. Doesn't matter how exclusive it is. Everybody can receive that gift by faith. Wow. Hell is real. People don't have to go there. Folks, I want you to look at John 3, 16, 17, and 18. And here's what we're going to do. You know, we sometimes tend on these real well-known scriptures to just read through them a million miles an hour and not really get what they're saying. I want us to read it together. All right? Now, I have on the screen, if you have an NIV, that's what we're reading from. So I have it on the screen so you can read it so we're all saying the same thing. All right? So you read with me. Let's start. John chapter 3, verse 16, 17, and 18. And think what you're reading now. Let's read together. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed name the Son. Wow. God didn't send Jesus to this world to condemn the world, but to provide salvation. If we reject that message, if we reject the gospel, if we reject Jesus Christ, we are condemned already. Secondly, we said first hell is real. People don't have to go there. Hell is real. What will you do about it? Hell is real. What will you do about it? I want to read for you 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. And you can read the entire chapter of 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and see the context of all that's there and what Paul's talking about. 
But he says this in these two verses. 2 Corinthians 5, 14. For Christ's love compels us, controls us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, that's Jesus, and therefore all died, all men without Jesus are dead in sin. But Christ died for all. The love of Christ compels us. Verse 15, and he died for all, that's Jesus, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Him, we're to live for him who died. No longer for ourselves. No longer live for ourselves. Folks, that's holding too tightly to the things of this earth. Why? Because Jesus died for us. What do we do about it? We don't live for ourselves. We live for him who died who died for us, who died for all, for him who died for them and was raised again. What do we do? Hell is real. What do we do about it? We live for God and we proclaim that message. Jesus died to set you free and forgive your sin. And lastly, (laughs) hell is real and real people are going there. Folks, many times we preach about hell and people would say, well, you're just trying to put a guilt trip on me. No, not at all. I think really sometimes that's the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God that we're talking about. That's conviction of sin. But hell is real. And people that probably each and every one of us know are going there every day what are we going to do about it Paul and I were in my office praying just before the service I got a phone call whenever I get a call on my cell phone at that time of the morning I'm like boy I better answer that because most people know don't call me at 9 15 it was one of our police officers he said are you busy I'm like yeah said our service begins at about 15 minutes he said oh okay he said we just had a suicide being the chaplain I would have had that opportunity to go and try to minister to the family and maybe I can still follow up later on but folks I don't know whether that individual was a believer or not but it would sure appear that there was no hope whatever it was going on in that individual's life, they had no hope. Folks, we have the message of hope to give to all who need Jesus. What will we do? Hell is real. Whether it's politically correct or socially correct, doesn't matter. It's real. God's word talks about it often. Real people will go there if they do not believe they are condemned already. We have the answer, folks. We have the hope. 
to share with them. Jesus Christ died in their place for their sins. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for this message, the gospel message. Thank you that Jesus died on the cross, that he was buried, and that he rose again three days later according to the scriptures, the gospel. Oh God, help us to be moved to share that truth, to give that hope, to proclaim the gospel to those who have already been condemned, to those who need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for your love, God. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins. And thank you for those here today who have received that forgiveness. And God, if we have, oh Lord, help us to remember, you died, Paul says, for us so that we would no longer live for ourselves, but for Jesus who died and rose again for us. Oh God, the days are getting shorter before the return of Jesus. Help us to live for you, for it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.